This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello, my name's Stuart Miles and welcome to the Pocalimp Podcast. Augmented reality has been around for several years, desperately trying to break into the mainstream with products that consumers will be keen to use daily. And with a bevy of announcements from Enreal and Qualcomm, and rumours Apple might finally be getting ready to get into the market, what's the state of the industry, and does the technology have what it takes to become a viable category in its own right? Pocalent editor Chris Hall joins me to discuss more. Meanwhile, I've been talking to the head of performance at Guild Esports about how he goes about getting the most from some of the biggest esports stars in the game, and how you can adopt some of those techniques he uses to improve your own gaming prowess. And finally, Chris returns to tell us how he's been getting on with the latest Sony active noise cancelling headphones. The Sony WH-1000XM5 are the latest offering the company's long line of successful headphones range, but with a new design and a highly competitive market, do they have what it takes to still be a worthy contender for you to buy? Stay tuned to find out. But first, let's talk about AR, Chris. What's been happening? Well, there's been a few developments in the past few months. Um, The biggest, probably for real people, is that a company called Enreal Mm -hmm. has decided it's going to partner up with EE in the UK to launch the Enreal Air. This is a pair of augmented reality, mixed reality glasses that you can wear and you can still see the real world but there are two displays inside, so it can form a virtual world that you can look around at the same time. The thing to note about this type of viewer is that it's got a cable, so you need to plug it into your phone, and then it needs a nice healthy connection to provide all of your data, which is why EE is interested in it and thinks that it's going to be something that a lot of people are interested in. The reason why that's interesting, and I mentioned that being a cabled version, is because just as that's coming onto the market in the UK, Qualcomm have shown off a development version of the next gen for these type of glasses. And that's one that does it all wirelessly, which will remove that tether, meaning that you can just wirelessly connect to your phone, which can be in your pocket or your bag. And then you don't have to think about where this cable's going as you move your head around exploring this virtual world. So it's it's quite an interesting time. Real products come into market. There's definitely a growing amount of interest out there, and there is a realistic vision of what the next version may look like, which could be much more appealing. And do you think having used, you've certainly used the Unreal, haven't you? And uh, HTC Flow, is that right? HTC Vive Flow, yes. I've also used that version, which is, again, tethered slightly different, but yeah, similar sort of concept. And from your concept, from your use of it so far, do you... Is it there? Are we ready yet? Is this still a hot air? It feels like this kind of AR has been bubbling around for a long time and it's yet to break through to to really become like a sort of thing that, you know, like a smartphone or a smartwatch or even AirPods or, you know, whatever that you that everybody needs to go out and buy. Are, are we there yet? At the moment, I'm not sure that we are. We're, we're still in that kind of space, like a sort of sealed virtual reality headset 
you know that's been that's been adopted by some gamers so if you think about the big tethered units that came from HTC Vive mm. and and then the evolution evolution to make it slightly more wireless um like MetaQuest headsets and things like that and that can give you a closed off environment where you're playing around a virtual world and that's a great experience on the other other side of it you have the augmentation of of what can be seen in front of you you know, layering information on what you're looking at to give you more more guidance. You know, and that's that's always been showcased for, you know, mechanics working on an engine or something like that. the The problem seems to be finding a fusion of these two different versions of of, of what's almost the same thing, and pulling it together into a form factor that normal people will be happy to wear. And so we we talked about the we've mentioned the Unreal ones, and although you can see through them. And they are a little bit lighter. There's, there's still quite heft to them. I mean, you can you can put it in its case. You can walk around with it in your bag. So we're getting to the point where I could go and sit on the train and put on a headset and mm-hmm. immerse myself in in this different world while still being able to see what's going on around me. The idea being that you can then take the experience of your phone and put it onto a larger display. So I don't have to look at a six inch display. I can look at a 210 inch display wow. instead you know it, it it's enormous but there's still this sort of issue of do you really want to go there are you going to have the control that you want and and there are a lot of moving parts here because on one end of the scale you have just the display stuff and the display stuff is great i think we've we've reached that point where they have the quality and the refresh rate and there are various form factors emerging where you can put these glasses on and look at something and think, oh yeah, that looks great. So that kind, that side of it is sorted. But at the moment, for the portable glasses type ones, most of them are controlled by your phone using it as a virtual pointer and using a sort of click-on display type thing. So if you want to interact with it, you need to, you know, tap, and that might launch a ball or fire a gun. Mm. Um, HTC Vive will, uh, Vive Flow will let you tap on four different positions around your phone screen to, to, to create different actions, and you can already get the sense that there is some complexity there you can't see your hand because you're stuck in a virtual world and you're tapping around on your phone trying to get the action you want so one side might be select and the other side might be the trigger um so so different things are happening there is advancements to take this forward with front facing cameras that will start to go into gesture recognition something like that but i think once you get to that point we're going to see things change wildly but it does raise this huge question again of whether People will want portable systems like this that rely on hand gestures, given that they're going to be out in public. Because if you're sitting on the bus <laughs> trying to wave your hands around, then immediately you're, you're, you run the risk of, of swiping things and hitting people and stuff like that because you still need a sort of safe play area. Sure. And so, so that raises more questions. Is it about portability to make these things work? Or is it going to be about playing at home in a sort of convenient virtual world without having to have a supercomputer to power things? So there are lots of questions. At the moment, I can't see that there is one device that's going to provide the broad range of experience to cover all these things. It kind of feels like you have to say, I'll go for the Unreal Air, which will give me that big screen experience so I can sit on the train and watch a film on a big screen you know, rather than doing it on my phone. Or you go to the other end of the spectrum, shut yourself off, stay at home, sit on the sofa, and play an immersive game. And, and just as a final quick note, we, we alluded to you know rumours that Apple might finally be getting into the space. They've supposedly shown uh, their headset to the board, which could imply that it, it's we might see something later in the year. 
do you think kind of a final word on this do you think that will make a difference to the to the industry or do you think it'll just be a another player getting in there uh, I, I I think it's actually it, it could be incredibly important and it could be the I hate to say it, but it could be the defining moment that this this category of devices needs because the one thing we know about Apple is they're very good at creating uh consumer experiences to encourage people to go out and invest in their system and and you know people to develop for their system. And that's what all of these sorts of things need. They need good experiences that you can't get anywhere else. They need to not just replicate the phone, they need to take it beyond the phone. And it, that needs a vibrant developer community and a developer community needs lots of devices on people's faces to make it worth their while. Um, Apple is likely to be the company that can do that, especially if they go down the wireless route, if they provide all that interactivity, if they just say, yes, this will connect up with your your iPhone and off you go, then it, it could be a breakthrough moment. Yes. Still to come, Chris gives us his verdict on the Sony WH-1000XM5 headphones. The interesting thing about these, as you said in the introduction, is that they've completely changed the design. And the initial thought would be that that design change was made just so that they look different to encourage people to go out and buy them again. But Sony explained that what they were really doing was trying to reduce the amount of wind noise that was created by those headphones when you were wearing them outside. As you walk around the corner, you're confronted by numerous enemies that have just one thing in their mind your death. You look at your health, it's low. You look at your ammo count, that's low too. What do you do next? If the answer is to panic and run in the opposite direction, run away, you might find that you need some performance coaching, which is handy as that's exactly what Edgar Jakira's job is. He's the head of performance at Guild Esports, an esports organisation co-owned by David Beckham. Based in London and Manchester with its own academy that fosters young talent, the Guild fields professional teams across Fortnite, Rocket League, FIFA, Valorant and many more. Keen to know more? I started by asking what the job entails. So, like I said, my job is it's kind of like a management job in a way where, you know, we have this team of really good professionals, um, healthcare professionals, where we can distribute them to different players that we have. But I work obviously within esports, so we have a lot of gamers that we have here. So I need to understand needs of the players, need to understand um, you know what goals they have, and actually just want to be a facilitator of growth for them. So okay. for those who don't know esports, like it's professional gaming essentially, and you know we perform at these big competitions there. Recently, we competed in uh, Sweden as well for the e-champions league final and my role is to make sure that they get the best support that they can to perform on the day and so how do you obviously esports is for a lot of people it feels probably like quite a new sort of sport and a new venture and i know it's been going on for some time but how would you describe your job is different and is it different to you know preparing someone for a tennis championship yeah. say for example compared to uh, an esports championship yeah, so I've worked in both in both fields. So I've worked in traditional sports um, where I've worked with like some great British uh, sprinters, worked with some international powerlifters. And funnily enough, the approach isn't as different as people might think. So working with, let's say, let's compare maybe some FIFA players to some like international powerlifters. Sure. Everyone still needs to be in that specific zone. So some people have like, they need to feel really aroused, really energetic before they compete. And then the strategies you use are going to be the same. It's just maybe the context is a little bit different. For example, um, maybe in FIFA, you want them to visualize, you know, what confidence feels like in playing. 
and the content of that is going to be different to a powerlifter visualizing confidence in you know performing a lift well because sometimes feeling confident helps them feel really energetic in a way so the strategies are somewhat similar it's just a little bit tweaked so it's not as different as people think it might be and how do you how did you get into the role how did you suddenly switch from traditional sports to to esports so I think I'm the kind of person who likes to have his fingers in many pies. Um, basically, I like doing a range of things. So I've always cared more about just performance, not just traditional sports, but just people who perform. Like it could be in gymnastics, it could be in dancing, um, it could be musicians. So when I was talking to a friend of mine, because I originally started in traditional sports, so I was mm. a rugby player myself. Um, but Working in traditional sports, I was talking to my friend about gaming because he's really avid in gaming as well. And he said, oh, there's a CSGO team, um, which is a Counter-Strike team, which is like a first-person shooter game. And they said there's a psychologist that works there. I was like, oh, wait, no way. Like, is there? I, I didn't know there was a market in it, right? So when he told me this, I kind of dived in a little bit more into into esports and found that there was like a really good market for it. And people really cared about the mentality of how to progress as a player just as much as they do in traditional sports so I was emailing around different teams you know how you know being self-employed you know you gotta just reach out to everyone yeah and um you know some teams got back and it gave me opportunity to really embed myself within the culture and to really understand you know emotional control was something that's needed within players you're working with actual younger players too compared to older players so younger players have um they might not know how to cope with certain situations more so the room for development and growth is a lot higher so that's how I kind of started into it and then just because I love seeing people progress I just it was kind of like a high for me so I just kept on chasing it a little bit more and work with more people and you know I've really enjoyed the journey I've had over the last couple of years in the industry and have you found that is there a stigma to to esports because you know you talk to some people and obviously you know it is becoming a professional professional sport but yeah. there are some people that think, oh, they're just playing video games. Yeah. Do you, how do you, do you, do you find that? Is there, a, is that an issue still? Or is, is that, is that sort of a, an outdated viewpoint? Yeah, I, I think it's still an issue. Um, but I think it's like an older generational issue. Like, you know, the, the comparison I can have is with music, right? When, you know, you play any form of modern music to anyone who's older, they're like, oh, this isn't real music. You know, what, hmm. back in my day, this is, this is what real music was, you know? So I think, it's ever changing because that's the thing with society everything's always changing there's ebbs and flows to everything um but there's still that stigma that's around where people be like oh i don't know why you're working in games like it can't be that stressful but i like to tell people that let's say the Fortnite cup world cup there was three million three million dollars at stake right you're performing in front of big crowds you have almost a million people watching watching you right like it's a very nerve-wracking and stressful experience and that in itself adds the components of what sports are. There's there's a lot of research and a lot of papers that actually try to define what a sport is. And the only difference between esports and um, traditional sports is the physicality of it. But there's still an element of it, but it's not to a higher degree. So, you know, there is that stigma, but it's it's also changing. And, and you talk there about about mental support yeah. and, and sort of, you know, it's more of a necessarily mental thing rather than a physical thing. Mm-hmm. How... How do you go about helping your players? I suppose they presume, presumably they suffer from burnout and just sort of, you know, in the same way that a regular athlete does. So how do you, how do you go about helping them? Yeah, burnout is a it's a really big, I think, problem within esports. Just because 
you can play hours and hours and hours and end. And because your body's not physically exhausted, your mentally can get there. Obviously, the important bit is really introducing self-care strategies. So getting people to understand what is it that they like doing outside of just playing the game. Um, that's normally done as well within traditional sports, like getting people to understand that you're not just a performer. There's also things outside of performance that you do well and that you enjoy. Um, also, I look into helping the players understand who are you, essentially, like what do you value, what matters to you? So it could be family, it could be friends, it could be doing art, it could be being quite creative. Mm. Uh, there's a lot that's been done within burnout and research in there, but sometimes if we're looking into motivation as well, it links with that question of, you know, why do you do what you do? Like nobody's obviously forcing you to do this. Right. So what, you know, what is the motivation behind that? And really trying to trying to package everything where they can maintain that amount of effort without overdoing themselves. For example, I tell them what how much sleep do you feel like you need? Or, you know, looking into nutrition as well, because nutrition is going to be important. Like if you eat badly, then you know you're going to easily feel burnt out. Your mental resources are going to be obliterated you know if you're just eating rubbish all day and also introducing strength strength conditioning practices as well whether it's just walking around you know for a little bit getting the lungs pumping you know really improving your social health and social support and really embracing that as well so a lot of different things that you can do with burnout but you know we take that holistic approach really within esports now you might say that you've already told me i was going to ask you what's your kind of what's your top three tips for anybody that's kind of thinking about you know playing games professionally yeah what's kind of to help them on their way to sort of empower them what would be your tips and i, I know obviously you've just said you know eating well sleeping yeah. well yeah. <laughs> doing things that are outside of the games is there yeah. is there any other sort of things that you think right just you know as a as a base standard this is what you should be doing i think anyone going into obviously any form of like high pressured environment they need to learn to be a bit more self-aware so i really push on the use of reflections so getting a structured reflective practice in so it could be three simple questions what went well today um what didn't go so well and then making an action plan i think i think that last bit is normally the hardest one for people to do because this is like a skill so we're kind of used to being told what to do and kind of used to um just kind of going through the motions but reflecting gives you the reins a little bit more where you think introspectively like okay this is what i need to potentially work on and specifically these are the strategies i can use so example it could be using of breathing techniques if you notice that you're quite a nervous performer it could be you need to work on communication skills so maybe you need to work on slowing down your speech when you're talking to other gamers when you're when you're in lobby it could be taking 10 seconds if you know that you're a really aggressive player like the key thing with psychology with mentality is always be self-aware so you notice what's going well for you and not going well for you and then mm. putting those plans of action forward um i guess another another one would be I think it's just social skills, really, like just developing that ability to communicate effectively with other people is going to be really useful. Um, even if you're a, even if you're in a single player game like FIFA, for example, right, you still need to talk to your coaches, still need to talk to your organization right. as well. And, um, you know, if your communication just breaks down, then you know, things can be misinterpreted, things can go badly, or maybe you're trying to communicate what you need, but you, you're not doing it effectively, being able to know what you want to say and actually be able to say it is going to be quite vital for pro players. And I think the last one is just being able to, 
you know, be a little bit more mindful, you know, be some present, present in the moment. Like, like I said, originally, you no one's forcing you to do this. You're doing this because you enjoy doing this. So really taking the time to be present in the moment, you know, be where your feet are is, um, is a saying I like to use quite a lot with, with players of, you know, just really embrace that moment that you're in. Like, although it's a pressure situation, it's, it's a bit of a privilege in that way. And just try to enjoy it as much as you can. I think those would be some additional tips there. Cool. Thank you very much. And do you think, where's the future of, of esports and, and your role within that? Do you, do you see this becoming, you know, most teams will have, if they haven't already, will have someone like you coaching them to make sure that they're, you know, mentally sound and everybody's happy and performing to their best? Or, yeah. you know, is that is that where it's going to go? Do you think that esports will either is already or will have the same standing in sort of support base? basis as as you know as man united or, or liverpool or, yeah. or you know the new york mets or whatever yeah i i definitely think so the way it's heading um because like when i first started compared to now you're seeing a lot more a lot more healthcare professionals coming into the scene and providing that support um like a multi-tiered level support to these players but also you're seeing academies being built up so i know guild has an academy as well that's been that's been set up where we're trying to now develop um like grassroots talent to try to get to that elite kind of level in in ways and this this copies maybe the models of like a manu or an arsenal or yeah. you know liverpool where you you're actually developing young talent and then you're giving them the resources so when they do come into elite status they have the ability to cope with having a hundred thousand followers or, you know, playing for 500 K prize pools and stuff like that. So you're seeing it really be, um, it's, it's being structured in a way where it models traditional sports, but actually invests a lot more into the support background. Cause I've seen from my time that a lot more care and a lot more attention is being put into the support stuff now within esports right. compared to other traditional sports. With the MH1000XM5, Sony has completely revamped the design of its ever-popular flagship headphone line. But is the redesign for the better, or has the urge to change things taken a step too far? Pocalint's Chris Hall joins me again and has been wearing the new headphones and is here to tell us how he's been getting on and whether you should get a pair yourself. So, Chris, are they good? Yes. Easy answer. They're very good. Brilliant. <laughs> Let, let me, uh, I'll, I'll take you all the way back to 2016 to uh, start the story. I was lucky enough to go to the launch of the 1000X family. When they when, when Sony said, right, we're going to do something different, I went along to see what it was all about. And I, I have a pair of those headphones and I have used them ever since. They have been upgraded. We're now in our fifth generation of the of the 1000X. And they have just got stronger and stronger through through every step of, of the of, of their life. The interesting thing about these, as you said in the introduction, is that they've completely changed the design. And the initial thought would be that that design change was made just so that they look different to encourage people to go out and buy them again. Mm. But Sony explained that what they were really doing was trying to reduce the amount of wind noise that was created by those headphones when you were wearing them outside. Because if you can make your headphones quieter on the outside, then there's less intrusion on, on what you're listening to on the inside. Whether or not that works... I, I don't know. I mean, I, I didn't get the opportunity to test them side by side in a wind tunnel or anything like that. But the important thing about these headphones is that they are superb at active noise cancellation. You step out of your house, you put them on your head, you turn on active noise cancellation, and it's like a blanket of silence descending around you. Wow. 
you could walk along scooters were going past the delivery drivers were were zipping past and i couldn't hear them <laughs> and on one side that's quite scary because you might step out into the road and get hit by one of these people um which is why there are all sorts of of options to allow differing amounts of noise in from the outside and the whole thing can be automated as well so you could have complete silence when you're at home or in the office and then you can have it switch to letting some of the outside ambient sound through when you're walking and it, and your phone can detect this and tell the headphones how to change um so so yeah fan, fantastic set of headphones um the noise if you're if you're a regular traveler or commuter and you just want something that will keep it quiet so you can hear your music without having to turn the volume up then it's a fantastic choice and is there anything you didn't like there isn't much, to be honest. I mean, the sound quality is great. The ANC, as I've said, is great. I found them very comfortable to wear. There was one minor detail. I don't know if this was just because we have early samples, but I had the the silver set. They, they, they're called silver, but they're almost beige, I think. But the cables were black. And that caught me by surprise because I opened it up and I thought, I'm never going to use this black cable because it's a different color to these headphones. Mm. And that's a... You know, it sounds like a petty thing, but petty things are what matters when you're looking at a 400 pound set of headphones that you really, really like. And you think that that's a shame. Whether that's going to be the same with the retail sets, I don't know. It's it's definitely something to look out for. But one of the slight changes is how they fold. Because before there was this sort of, you could flip the cups in to put them into the package, you know, the, the case yep. that they came in to make them more compact. Now they the, the, the cups fold flat instead. So the footprint of the headphones when they're folded up is larger than it was before. Um, that's about it. That's the only minor thing. Unless you want to get into codecs, there's no Aptex HD support because they use LDAC, which is a proprietary Sony um, codec. But uh, LDAC is widely supported by Android and neither LDAC or Aptex is supported by Apple. So it's a moot point. It doesn't matter if you're an, if you're an iPhone user. You've obviously said at the beginning that you've been using the original version and this is obviously considerably better. Do you think if you, is it time if you have been a previous uh, 1000, if you've been a previous user of these headphones, is it time to upgrade? That's an interesting question because the experience of the original headphones is still very good. Sound quality is good. Noise cancellation is good. It, they're, they're now obviously better. They they are better. I would say that if you're still using the original ones, it's probably worth time. It's probably worth worth your time upgrading now because you'll have been using them for a while. The battery life may be starting to decline a little bit, and this will put you back up to thirty hours of active use, which is much longer than it was originally. If you only if you've only just bought a set, if you have the the one thousand XM four that came out last year. It's it's a hard sell because the experience is very very close. Um, so if you have some of the earlier generations, yeah, perhaps look at it, see if you can gift them to somebody else, and uh, go and get yourself a new set. If you if you have a, a fairly shiny pair of the last generation, then it's probably not worth it. And the toughest question of all: if when they go back, will you be sad? I'll be incredibly sad. In fact, I'm already sad. I'm sad just thinking about them going back because they're just such lovely headphones to use every day. Well, that's it for this week's show. Until next time, thanks for listening. Pip, pip.